The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 347, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Wednesday, April 6, 2016. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning into My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show where I give my take on MMA, pro wrestling, gaming and entertainment on wednesday nights we broadcast our mma and wrestling edition of mtr and thursday nights we broadcast our gaming and entertainment edition uh, both in audio and video format audio editions can be heard on mixler by getting the official mixler app for ios and android devices and you can also watch video via youtube live vaughn live stream up twitch and a host of other video services but if you want the best experience, head over to mtrlive.com. We got our video player set up as well as audio versions of the show as well, plus a live chat to interact with myself, the rest of the Rageworks and MTR team, as well as other listeners. Plus, archived episodes of the show can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio in podcast format and video on our YouTube channel, Official Rageworks. We got lots to discuss this week, so I'm going to keep our housekeeping brief. couple of announcements I want to get out there before jumping into MMA and a very, very packed wrestling segment this week. Of course, you know, WrestleMania weekend has come and gone. We're going to talk about NXT. We're going to talk about WrestleMania. We are going to get into the post-WrestleMania edition of Raw. A couple of wrestling news from the week, and of course, we will take your calls, 347-324-3500. For one on the MMA side of things, uh, we got a couple of news items that came across our desk uh, earlier this evening. We're going to get into that, including a new matchup added to the UFC 200 card. Uh, lots to discuss there. We got a Dada 5000 update, which um, was posted and then deleted uh, shortly after. I want to share my thoughts on that. And of course, the other MMA news of the week as well. But before we jump into that, couple of housekeeping items to get out of the way first. Uh, The first thing being that there will be no gaming and entertainment edition of MTR this Thursday due to um, an event that we are covering, but uh, keep it locked to our social media platforms for 
uh, content relating to that event. Nonetheless, there is going to be stuff posted on the site. And today, well, for the next uh, half hour or so, you'll be able to enter our Hateful Eight uh, Funko Pop Vinyl Contest, which we are partnering up with Entertainment Earth for. That will be over at midnight. And even though we're not doing a gaming and entertainment edition of the show, we will be announcing a winner on the site. And of course, we'll be reaching out to that person and they will win four Funko Pop vinyls from the Hateful Eight. Uh, We finally got everything squared away for our Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice contest. And we're going to we're going to probably start that shortly after uh, this contest wraps up, hopefully this Friday. uh, Now that we have everything squared away in terms of prize distribution etc etc so we are going to be doing that uh in an update with regards to the my take radio tv youtube channel i am pleased to report that i have defeated youtube and um my powers have been restored on the my take radio tv channel um i knew that once we filed a counterclaim and explained ourselves uh things would move accordingly but as i said before the management of two channels just does not make any sense Uh, We are still on target to sunset that channel uh, by May 1st, and we will be updating that channel with a video with that announcement and directing people to subscribe to the official Rageworks channel if you haven't already. Again, the intention is to phase out that channel by April, not April 1st, by May 1st. Um, Like I said in previous episodes, just managing two channels and posting essentially the same thing on both is a little more cumbersome and more trouble than it's worth, especially when, you know, the bulk of the stuff is being posted on our Rageworks channel. But what we are going to do is we are going to move certain videos and evergreen content from the My Take Radio TV channel to our Rageworks YouTube channel to kind of, you know, bring some of that stuff over. Also, I know that we had recorded some video from Toy Fair and I actually ended up losing the SD card or I thought I did with the video Turns out I did find the SD card, so I was working on some of that video from Toy Fair, and we are going to be sharing that stuff as well. So keep an eye out for that on our official YouTube channel, which is Official Rageworks. As always, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. One other thing I did want to mention, we are going to be making some adjustments and changes to uh, rageworks.net in the coming weeks. Uh, we're working with a couple of different developers trying to vet out who's going to handle the bulk of the project, but we are going to make some changes, uh, definitely some improvements and also a couple of behind the scenes changes for our staff, which will allow them to post content and manage their work a little bit more efficiently. Now, uh, what this means, of course, will be that there will be some adjustments with regards to navigation on the site. I definitely want to improve our mobile experience. I know a lot of you guys are accessing the site via mobile and are having various issues, whether not being able to see the videos that we post on the site, etc., etc. And because of that, we are looking to make some changes on that front. But as always, I welcome any feedback you guys have, any any constructive criticism that we can apply to giving you guys the best Rageworks experience possible. Um, As always, Feel free to reach out via social or via email. And, you know, if it's something that we can do, we will definitely take it under advisement. All right. That wraps up the housekeeping. Let's jump into this week's MMA. Lots to discuss. Let's get to it. All right. So 
we're going to start off with the MMA side of things first, and we'll close out with wrestling, as always. Um, a couple of things have been added to UFC 200. We already know that Conor McGregor and Nate Diaz are scheduled to square off once again as the main event. Uh, Jose Aldo and Frankie Edgar will be fighting for an interim title. Also on that card, Travis Brown, Cain Velasquez, Gegard Mousasi, Joe Lozon, Diego Sanchez, and now Takanori Gomi and Jim Miller. And shortly before we went on air, it was announced that Misha Tate would be defending her title against Amanda Nunes. Now, a lot of people were upset about that announcement because many people felt that Holly Holm deserved the rematch, especially after the way that the fight between her and Misha Tate played out. Uh, Myself included, I felt that we really needed to go that route and Holly Holm deserved an opportunity at a rematch, much much like many of us said that Ronda deserved an opportunity at a rematch. Unfortunately, uh, UFC matchmakers decided to go in a completely different direction, giving the nod to Amanda Nunes, ranked at number four in the women's division, to square off against Misha Tate at UFC 200. Again, Misha Tate coming off a recent re-signing with the UFC, a uh, brand new contract, and I believe that it was just a matter of getting her on the marquee event of the summer. Now, again, we can make a lot of cases that Ronda should have been fighting or Holly Holm should have been fighting, but alas, you know those those pleas felt on those pleas fell on deaf ears. Now, Amanda Nunes is a credible fighter, very talented, very dangerous, and. I have to say that we have another opportunity to see a title change, not to take anything away from Misha Tate. Misha Tate is incredibly talented, uh, definitely evolving and improving with each fight. But when I when I see her fights, I don't feel that she's a fighter that's going to go out there and decisively put people away. I think she's going to go out there and have her fair share of wars and either, you know, embrace the grind and try and get a decision out of it or try her best to finish a fight as best as possible. But I just feel that Amanda Nunes is, you know, just more, her striking is more crisp. I think that she's definitely going to pose a lot of problems for her, especially in the stand-up portion. But I think that there is a possibility we may, we may see another title change. And while some people are okay with that, I do feel that, you know, the dominant the dominant force at the time was Ronda. And obviously after we pretty much broke that that armor, it's become a, a fair game opportunity in this division. We know that Cyborg is going to be fighting uh, very soon and people are watching that fight with much interest. Obviously, she is fighting at a 140 pound catch weight, but I think that if she has a solid performance, we we, we may see her make try and make the cut to 135 and challenge for the belt because again Cyborg is one of those fighters that is in a class all her own when it comes to striking and I think that if it was a stand up battle between her and Misha Tate and any of the other females in the division I think she would soundly beat them uh in in convincing fashion and it's unfortunate because you know the marquee matchups would have been her and Holly Holm her and Ronda and not to say that she couldn't that her and Amanda Nunes wouldn't be a good fight or her or versus Misha Tate wouldn't be a good fight. But the problem is that there's an expectation in terms of, you know, just building up a fight. And I think there's a bigger possibility of people wanting to tune in to see Cyborg and Holly home to see a stand-up war or just see her and Ronda, you know, two heated rivals uh, squaring off for an opportunity at the title. 
There's there's a lot, and I've said this in previous shows, there's a lot of opportunity here for some really great storytelling, but there's also an opportunity for Amanda Nunes to upset the entire story altogether by coming in and defeating Misha Tate. Now, the thing that gets me is obviously UFC 200, as I said last week, is being marketed as you know this big flagship event, brand new arena it's going to debut in, so many things going on, but again... You know, even though the card is shaping up to be a quite so- a very solid card, you know, they even threw Sage Northcutt in there. I almost forgot about that. He's going to be fighting on that card as well. You know, they threw they threw in a lot of a lot of fighters that are definitely going to get a buzz, but it's still not the type of fighting the the type of fight card that should be comprised of a main event where a title is not on the line. Again, you know, you're building a, a marquee event, a flagship event. You want to make sure that you're all your as many as many belts as possible are defended. And we have some of the most exciting fights. And if we don't have that at minimum, we should have a, an, an ample amount of title qualifiers to really fill up the rest of that card. And honestly, Travis Brown came Velasquez. Some people are saying that that's a, a, a title opportunity fight for those guys. Maybe, maybe not. Um, Takanori Gomi, Jim Miller. I mean, Jim Miller's a workhorse and the fireball kid is, is definitely a guy that's always exciting to see. He may open the, uh, the pay-per-view portion or he may close out the prelims. He may main event the prelims. Um, you know, that looks like a fight that's going in that direction. But again, you know, Sage Northcutt, also a fight that I'm expecting to see on the prelims, unless they want to give him another opportunity on the main stage. I just, I'm just not getting a vibe of of true excitement you know UFC 100 was super exciting now don't misunderstand I feel that McGregor and Nate Diaz are going to go above and beyond to sell people on this card but I just think that there's going to be there there's so many other compelling fights that could have been put together I mean you know you could have put Anderson Silva to fight on that card you could have put Cyborg to fight on that card things like that that really would have just got people's attention I mean some people are saying that CM Punk may fight at, at UFC 200. Obviously, news regarding his recovery from injury have been sporadic to say the least. And I think that in that regard, you know, the probability of him fighting is very, very minimal. But we'll see what happens. Obviously, as more fights get announced, I will share those updates with you guys. It wouldn't be an MTR episode with a John Jones update. As many of you know, John Jones was recently cited for uh, a bunch of traffic infractions, which le- which led to him being arrested for violation of probation. Uh, the UFC obviously was very upset about how it, how it panned out. Um, you know, he's going to, um, according to TMZ, once he was released, they applied a bunch of criteria to his. Uh, probation. A couple of things I want to put out there was that they were looking to have him be home between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m., but unfortunately, John Jones contested that and stated that he trains in the evenings for his fight, so that criteria was dropped. But he has been cited to not, he is not allowed to drive without permission from his probation officer. Also, he must complete a driver improvement course anger management, and 60 hours of community service in three months. The judge added that Jones needed to take this seriously and noted that Jones was starting to fail at probation and that this is his third chance and that they are concerned. Um, 
you know, Jones's uh, attorney claims that the drag racing citation is not right and that Jones was profiled by the officer that pulled him over and that they would fight the traffic violations. Obviously, uh, Dana White and the UFC were not happy with this latest development. And like I said last week as well, you know, it's a double edged sword. Was John Jones being profiled? Maybe, maybe not. But even still, his, you know, his exchange with the police officer at the scene was just not conducive to to doing him any good whatsoever. When you're sitting there calling the cop a pig and and just being rude in this situation, it just it just didn't do him any favors. On the contrary, and I said this last week, you should have been smart. And you know, yes, sir, no, sir, no problem, officer. Okay. And that's it. And then resolve the matter in court like a professional. You don't got to be belligerent, especially when you're being caught on video, whether he knew it or he didn't. It just it just really was poor form on his part. And the funny thing is that he actually he may I joke around that somebody may have been listening to my take radio last week because he did hire a driver. Uh, Funny thing is that he hired his nutritionist, Lou Giordano, to serve as his full time driver. Um, he said, I have him here and he's driving me between every practice all day, even at night. Now, uh, Jones said on the MMA hour, he said, I figured I'd take it. it, I'd take getting in trouble out of the police's hands by simply not driving. And, you know, it's funny and we could joke about it, but this goes back to what I said before, which is, you know, you got money, you have, you have a team of people that can help you ask for help. You know, hey, can you drive me to practice? Hey, can you drive me here? Save yourself that aggravation, whether you're guilty or you're not guilty. Because again, you know, the UFC is but but only so much uh, understanding of the situation. You know, their their patience definitely is wearing thin. I mean, Dana White was very, he seemed very frustrated as he was questioned about it recently. And you could see that, you know, they're really getting tired of having to make excuses or having to acknowledge things that are just really, really bad press for them. And and even for John Jones and his family, I'm like, dude, you know, I, I understand you got money, you're a cocky dude, but you can't, you can't, you cannot try and be above the law in these situations because you will get humbled. I mean, even if you have one of the best lawyers in the game and you win a couple of battles, they will find a way to get you. And like the judge said, it's like, you are, you know, he's failing at probation. It's like, dude, just... Uh, do your community service, take your anger management, do what you got to do and just fight and win your belt back and stay out of stay out of the, the press in, unless you're doing something constructive. That's all that's all I'm saying. Like, do not you know, police violations and crimes should not be associated with your name for the foreseeable future, especially if you're trying to, you know, have this great comeback story of redemption. It's just like I said, it's it's foolish and it, and it's not doing anyone any favors. It looks like Aljamain Sterling finally has his fight with Brian Caraway. Aljamain Sterling has been uh, very, very vocal about wanting to fight Brian Caraway. Uh, the new bantamweight fight was added to the UFC Fight Night 88 card, which goes down May 29th. Brian Caraway, as many of you know, is the significant other of Misha Tate and is probably hated by a lot of fucking people, either because they think he's a doofus and, you know, he dates Misha Tate or just because he's he comes off as a bit... Uh, a bit of a douchebag. So, I mean, I like Aljamain Sterling, you know, fellow fellow New Yorker coming out, repping uh, law MMA. Guy is a, a serious problem, super talented. I'm really pumped to actually see this fight. 
just to see if Sterling gets himself in title contention after this matchup or at least puts himself in conversation for an opportunity. Now, we were talking about John Jones and the you know his legal troubles, and many of us were concerned that it would jeopardize his fight with Daniel Cormier at UFC 197. Sadly, the only thing that jeopardized that fight was an injury that Daniel Cormier sustained and has removed him from the UFC 197 card. Instead, uh, John Jones will be facing Ovin St. Pru, uh, OSP, at the event for the interim light heavyweight title. Now, there's a lot There's a lot of things that I want to address with regards to this. Obviously, the injury to Cormier couldn't have come at a worse time. Um, for John Jones, it's, it's just an, another opportunity for him to talk shit about Daniel Cormier, which he's already done through various pieces of social media that have been posted and deleted in typical John Jones fashion. But I think the fight with OSP is very intriguing. I think OSP, you know, poses a legitimate threat and can derail the John Jones comeback. But I think as motivated as he is and as much as he wants to prove himself, I think that John Jones is going to definitely try and go out there and have his A game. Does that mean it's going to guarantee him victory? It remains to be seen. But obviously the collision course with Daniel Cormier is on hold for the foreseeable future. As I said, this injury could not have come at a worse time for DC. I wish him a speedy recovery, and I know for a fact that when him and John Jones finally do fight, that's going to be a fight that many people are not going to want to miss either because DC is going to shut John Jones up once and for all, or John Jones will come out and devastate, you know, devastate DC uh, to the point where people are just going to re- forget that, you know, this guy is the champion and. Everybody else was pretty much just keeping the belt warm for him. So we'll see what happens. I think OSP and, and John Jones is going to be a solid fight. I, again, I think that there's a lot of stylistic similarities between them. I feel that OSP definitely is a, is a more solid fighter. And I think he's going to definitely try and work a little bit of that additional mass that he carries against John Jones. But we, we never know with John Jones what we're going to get. I mean, with the fight with him and Chael... Uh, great example. He didn't even really go to the stand-up. He actually used his wrestling. He out-wrestled the wrestler in that instance. And, you know, that was surprising for many of us. I think in the same thing with DC, he really was just a more aggressive fighter in that in that fight, really trying to utilize a lot of his distance, a lot of his striking. And he picked apart uh, Daniel Cormier for the bulk of that fight. And again, I'm curious to see if he's going to be able to use that for against OSP. Again, this fight is happening April 23rd. It, it's definitely a short notice fight for OSP that may prove to be beneficial or not. Uh, overall, this is a solid card. John Jones OSP for the interim light heavyweight title is your main event. Uh, Demetrius Johnson, Henry Cejudo for the flyweight title. Uh, definitely both solid cards. Anthony Pettis will also be fighting. He'll be taking on Edson Barboza, his brother will be fighting on the prelims. Plus, Carlos Barza will be back in the cage facing Juliana Lima. Again, April 23rd for that event. Curious to see if OSP can derail the John Jones hype train. Gotta update you guys about the Yoel Romero situation. As you guys know, uh, Yoel Romero was um, suspended for testing positive after a failed drug test. Turns out that they settled the suspension uh, Romero is going to have less than nine months from the time of the suspension 
uh, the announcement of the suspension for the anti-doping violation. Um, it seems that it's going to allow Romero to fight later on this summer after failing his post UFC 194 drug test. It seems that according to Romero's manager, the, um, the supplement, which was ibutamorin, was found in a tainted supplement. I'm assuming they provided documentation and proof um, to the commission, and because of that, they have reached a settlement. It looks like he will be able to compete sometime in July, so uh, with that behind him, we'll see what happens. I think Romero is a very talented fighter, and this is just a small, a small bump in the road for him. We'll see what happens in July, that's for sure. The um the fight between Tony Ferguson and Khabib Nurmagomedov is off. Unfortunately, uh, Tony Ferguson suffered an injury. The new main event uh, for that card is going to be Rashad Evans, Glover Teixeira, and then of course Dan Henderson, Lyoto Machida, and Rose Namajunas and Tessia Torres are on that card. That is UFC on Fox 19 going down April 16th. Uh, the main card, of course, will air on Fox with the prelims on UFC Fight Pass and Fox Sports 1. Looks like Rampage's return to Bellator now officially has a date, Bellator 157. Uh, Rampage will be taking on Satoshi Ishii in Ishii's Bellator debut. That's June 24th, definitely a nice early birthday present for yours truly in St. Louis. As always, the main main card will air on Spike TV and the prelims will air on Spike.com. Uh, this is going to be the second Dynamite card with MMA fights and glory kickboxing matches. Uh, definitely looks like another solid fight, night of fights from Bellator as we get more fights announced. Of course, I will report them here. All right, last but not least, this this story is just so insane. So as many of you know, Dada 5000 fought Kimbo Slice, almost died. Uh, went from being hospitalized one day to being hospitalized a week. And, um, you know, countless, countless thoughts and opinions were expressed about the fight, about his health and well-being, uh, both from myself and from numerous other outlets, including Joe Rogan, who got into uh, some trouble with the, some commentary he made about uh, Dada 5000. Well, turns out that uh, Dada 5000 went... And posted on his Instagram account, which was crazy because it was deleted shortly after, that he suffered, and I quote, kidney failure and two heart attacks. Um, even though he deleted his post, a lot of people captured it and, of course, reshared it. He said, and I quote, yes, I did have kidney failure during the fight. I also had two heart attacks, which I could have died during the fight. Glory to the Most High, which saw favor in me to bring me back. Um, it's, you know, there, there's a lot of crazy stuff to be said about this. When the guy suffered kidney failure, and according to him, two heart attacks, two, you know, you read this shit, and it just, it just continues to reinforce what I said before, that somebody, somebody's got to hang for this, you know? It, it, it doesn't make any sense that this guy suffers kidney failure and two heart attacks and allegedly passed all his medicals. I just, you know, for the life of me, it boggles my mind that this guy who was essentially a walking corpse uh, for the majority of that fight was was anywhere near fit to compete. 
I mean, I, I continue to look at this and, and countless other articles and, and different news reports about it. And something just continues to remain off about this fight from the buildup to the weigh-ins to the medical, to the post-fight medical, to the fact that the guy went from being in the hospital to a, you know, for a day to being in there for a week to him posting that he suffered kidney failure, two heart attacks. And then for the message to be deleted, it just, Something something genuinely seems really, really funky about this situation. And what bothers me more is the fact that he posted that on Instagram and then he deleted it. Like, why would you delete that? Are you deleting it because uh, Bellator wanted you to delete it? Are you deleting it because they didn't want you posting that stuff? Like, I just really don't understand. You know, the guy the guy was removed from the cage on a stretcher. And, um, you know, he had renal failure and was quote unquote recovering nicely. That was the statement that was released, which I shared with you guys. And then it was just, it just escalated from there as one day hospital stay turned into the one week hospital stay. And, um, you know, they said that his heart has stopped. It was, it's just insane to me. I really cannot comprehend. And even now, months later, I'm still just, just taken aback by the fact that people, don't see that there was a bigger problem here. It, I just, I just don't understand it. Like I said, this guy walked into the cage, allegedly lost forty pounds to get to make the two sixty five limit. Um, and on top of that, like I said, suffered renal failure and had a stroke. Like right after the fight was over, it is, it, it is insane to me, insane. And the fact that Bellator hasn't really gone out of their way to acknowledge this shows that something was amiss. Luckily, and and I say this with 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 the utmost sincerity, we're fortunate that this guy did not die in the cage because had he died in the cage, it would have it would have been just a black eye for the sport from top to bottom. It would have affected I guarantee you it would have affected the UFC getting sanctioned. It would have created just a firestorm of negative press for the organization because there would have been serious inquiries into how this guy got into the cage and nobody had any idea of what exactly was going on with him physically. I hate to say it, but it just it just seems really, really sketchy. Uh, Slick says his camp deleted that shit. Slick also adds... Dr. Nick from the Simpsons cleared him. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, we joke about it because, you know, the, obviously the guy didn't die and, you know, we're laughing about the situation, even though it's so serious because it just, there's so many things that we, that we looked at both from a fan perspective and even from me covering it from Joe Rogan's commentary about him being out of shape to him, to his, you know, chicken and orange soda. There, there was so much that was said post fight. And then obviously people talking about that, you know, these guys were warriors. They went out there, they did what they did. Don't misunderstand. It takes some brass ones to get in the cage and, you know, beat the hell out of another human being. I, I take nothing away from either individual, but there is also the, the accountability that needs to come into play when you're putting guys that haven't really competed in the sport at an elite level and you just put them out there front and center. I mean, this guy was coming in 
you know, at, he was two and one as a pro MMA fighter. And Kimbo, we know his record isn't exactly, you know, illustrious either. And you're, you're putting these guys in there on the main stage for what? Like, I can understand if this was an opener or a prelim fight or something that had less exposure, but you had two guys, one who, who made his career in street fighting and the other guy who's essentially still street fighting, you know, carrying an event on one of the biggest stages on television. It's just, I, again, I don't understand the logic that was at work here. I don't know who convinced Scott Coker that was a good idea on top of the fact that, like I said, I don't, I just don't understand who, who decided that this guy who was unproven at an elite level would, you know, was cleared to fight. I just, I just don't get it. I really, really don't, you know, Slick is saying, I'm saying that if he was in that condition, he should have never been allowed in there. The doctor should lose their license. I agree a hundred percent. And I am, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that that is not the case, but Obviously, people have gone on record and say, oh, you know, his pre-fight testing was good. But the real question is, was it really? Was it as good as we are being led to believe? Because I honestly feel that something was, you know, something is definitely amiss. I just think that nobody wants to hold on or be accountable because they know that if and when that ever gets out, people are going to be in deep shit again you know, I'm sure that the that the brass and Bellator are just they are just, you know, tickled pink that this guy didn't die in the in the cage because that would have been it for everybody. And like I said, it would have really hurt the sport because people would have looked at it and been like, you see how barbaric it is. This guy got beaten to death. You know who who let this guy in there? It would have raised so many questions and caused so much additional hardship for the sport. That I just like I said, there, there's got to be there's got to be some more some better oversight, and we really don't need to have these freak show fights, man. We really don't. We are in a you know we're in a period of MMA where there are so many talented fighters, not only fighting in the organizations themselves, but just trying to hone their skills that are on the come up. That you could find guys to to fill a card. You can, you can very very easily. Instead. You know, we go with two quote unquote street fighters for the sake of, you know, popping a rating. Is it was it worth it in the end? Maybe. But was it worth it at the risk of a guy fucking dying in there? Not so much. I totally forgot I was going to I was going to close out with the um with the Dota 5000 story, but I got to update you guys on the Vanderlei Silva tag team grappling match which originally Vanderlei's uh, ta- partner was going to be announced at a later date. Uh, turns out that he will be tagging, well, and, and this is, I say this loosely, with um, his one-time opponent, Kiyoshi Tomura, for the Rising Fighting Federation event, which is going to be, as I said uh, a couple of weeks back, a tag team grappling tournament. So there you have it, ladies and gents. Vanderlei Silva has a partner for the tag team grappling tournament, uh, tournament from the Ryzen Fighting Federation. <laughs> I don't. I. I don't even have anything else to add to that because it is so weird and so over the top. But it is indeed happening. All right. So that bit of news is going to be a perfect way to wrap things up, and we're gonna switch gears. We're gonna jump into uh, this week's wrestling because man, there's there was so much to discuss. We had you know a legendary NXT event. 
Uh, we had Mania. We had Raw. I'm going to try and just go through those three particular events. I, I know many of you, you know, want to know my thoughts on the Hall of Fame, but, you know, we're going to go into three hour show territory and I don't want to do that. So I kind of want to focus on the three big events of the weekend and, of course, this Monday. So with that said, let's get to it and jump into some wrestling. I want to start off with NXT, which um, had their uh, takeover event this past Friday, April 1st. Uh, from top to bottom, and I got to say this before addressing the matches themselves, uh, the NXT crew delivered, without a doubt, one of the best cards in recent memory. And I say this because every time we watch an NXT event, something memorable, something magical, something amazing happens that as wrestling fans, it really puts you in that, you know, it puts you in that, in that position to say, this is why I watch this stuff. And as a wrestling fan, as a person who commentates on the state of professional wrestling, um, as I've said it before, not as a journalist, but just as, as a pundit, as a talking head, I was on the edge of my seat from bell to bell as a fan. There was so much to see, so much excitement, so many great performances from the talent on hand that it just made you wonder where, how much more can NXT improve when they're delivering quality programming like this? Obviously, you know, the first the first words out of my mouth after that event was over is that the main roster has a big has a big job ahead of them, uh, you know, topping this event. And don't misunderstand. WrestleMania was enjoyable, but there's two different types of enjoyment. And I'm going to get into that a little more in a few minutes. But in terms of pure wrestling, and I mean, pure wrestling. No, no bells, no whistles, no fireworks, no bullshit wrestling. NXT TakeOver was definitely the dominant event of the weekend. And I'm talking about just from a wrestling perspective because almost every match had amazing storytelling, great performances, and genuine unexpected outcomes in some instances. Let me, let me start with the, with the opening match, it was for the tag team titles. It was the Revival, Dash and Dawson taking on American Alpha. Of course, that's comprised of Jason Jordan and Chad Gable. American Alpha are, you know, in my opinion, their team angle 2.0 with Chad Gable pretty much being the next Kurt Angle uh, as well. I felt that this match had tremendous storytelling, not only from uh, a mat standpoint, but also from some of the the heel tactics that were being executed by the revival. Uh, the revival looked really great out there. I think these guys, you know, they are a throwback to the you know Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchard days, and you can see that. But you can also see that they're they're really really technically savvy in the ring and know how to just put together a great story. I mean, the match had uh, one or two small botches, but you know what? Considering the pace they were working and and the the tight execution of the overall match, I think I think it was a stellar match. Um, American Alpha comes away with the titles out of this match, and it was you know it was just really really good um, excitement. Not only exciting from you know a wrestling perspective, but the crowd was just red hot. Um, you know I, I like American Alpha. I think that their future is incredibly bright. I can only hope that WWE doesn't automatically jump to break those guys up, whether in NXT or 
when they make it to the main roster. I think that they need to work together. We need to go back to the days where guys are, are tag team, are in a tag team for a couple of years. They win some gold. They do some really remarkable things before even contemplating a breakup. And I say this because this was something that made uh, tag teams very, very important during the golden age of wrestling, you know, during the, during the 80s and, and 90s. If you look at it, you know, guys like the Hart Foundation, even the Rockers, the Rockers were together for a long time before Shawn Michaels kicked Marty Jannetty through a plate, through a, through a plate glass window during Brutus Beefcake's barbershop. So, you know, you got to look at stuff like that. You got to see that there's a history there. And then when you do decide to break them up, there's, there's, there's just a bigger narrative there. I mean, you know, they've done it to a point with certain teams. Obviously, the Usos aren't a team that you're going to break up right away, given that they're siblings. It could happen. But, uh, you know, even, even with the Shield at one point, the Shield was together for so long. And by the time that they did finally break them up, it was such a, such a shocking moment for many fans that you really felt that it was executed to perfection. I, I really hope that WWE follows suit with this and starts really focusing on keeping their tag teams together. I mean, even the Lucha Dragons, everybody's already talking about Kalisto singles run or Sin Cara singles run. And I think that's great that those guys are competing in, in singles competition, but don't break those guys up because they haven't even had a chance to hold tag team gold. And I think that there's something that can be said for those guys winning the tag team titles as well. If you want to go down the road and break them up, that's fine. But at least let them win some tag team gold before even venturing into singles competition. That That's all I'm saying. Austin Aries and Baron Corbin was a really good brawl. Um, there, it, there were moments where the match slowed down for me. And I just think that that's partially just because... Baron Corbin's a bigger guy and not exactly the speediest guy in the ring. But I do feel that Austin Aries was really good, uh, connected well with the audience. And again, just a lot of intrigue there because you're looking at a guy who has uh, really, really memorable matches under his belt with Samoa Joe, uh, hopefully with the with, with the newly signed Bobby Roode, which I'll get into in a few minutes. Um, I really think that a guy like Austin Aries has tremendous upside for NXT and even for the main roster, but Austin Aries falls into that same category with a, like a guy like Tyler Breeze where you call him up and then you have nothing for them. And I'm worried that that would happen to Austin Aries. So please leave him down there. Let him build his, his repertoire in NXT. Let him deliver some great matches. I mean, matches with Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens, Samoa Joe, the, the list goes on. Austin Aries definitely delivers. And I think he got a really memorable match out of Baron Corbin, considering, like I said, Baron Corbin is a he's he's a physical presence and he's a big guy, but he still moves at a snail's pace. And I think Austin Aries brought something good out of him and allowed him to kind of step outside of his comfort zone. Um Slick says, don't break them up because Kalisto makes up for Sin Cara's botches. You know, you know what it is, man? Sin Cara's botches are few and far between because Hunico is a better performer. And it, obviously in the old days when it was the old Sin Cara under the mask, that was definitely a running gag. But I just feel that the chemistry between them works well and they can tell really amazing stories together in the ring. Yeah, Sin Cara, you know, he still has his fair share of little mishaps. 
But I think it's more so because the guy has a lot to do with a full face mask. At least Kalisto has bigger eye opening, uh, you know, bigger eye openings in his mask and he can move a lot free, a lot more freely. I think in Sin Cara's case that, you know, you got to kind of put a little blame on the mask too, which countless luchadors have talked about, you know, when you're wrestling with a full mask, it's, it's a gift and a curse. And I think in Hunico's case, you know, this was a guy who was wrestling unmasked and then all of a sudden got thrust into, into a masked role. I, I think there's still an opportunity for mishaps. I mean, the guy looked really good in the IC title ladder match, but we'll get into that in a moment. All right. So one of the big matches, a match that everyone was talking about was going to be Sami Zayn and Shinsuke Nakamura, of course. Uh, or Shinsuke Nakamura. Now, many people obviously know Nakamura from his work in New Japan Pro Wrestling. They know him as the king of strong style, a very unique individual, very, very strange style um, that if you're not used to, you're going to be like, yo, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? Why is he Why is he such a weirdo? But um, first thing I got to say is the choice of music that they use for Nakamura was amazing. Uh, I'm not going to say that it's my ringtone, but it is, uh, they did, they did a really good job with this match. It was a true, true display of Japanese strong style. And there was no better human being to bring that out than Sami Zayn, who's wrestled all over the world and is well-versed in all styles of wrestling. Uh, this match definitely, if I had to say, tell me your top five matches for 2016, this match is definitely going to be on that list because the storytelling uh, you know, just the physicality of the match was tremendous. And the crowd, the crowd was super into it. I got to tell you, if you have an opportunity to watch this match and you didn't the first time, I cannot stress enough. You got to watch it. This is what pro wrestling is all about. Whether you're, you're, you're a fan that's well versed in, in all the different wrestling from around the world, you need to sit down and watch this. You will appreciate the work these guys put in there. Um, you know, from bell to bell, this match was aggressive. It was vicious and, uh, and told a remarkable story. It was a great, uh, arrival for Nakamura and just another stellar performance from the always awesome Sami Zayn. Do yourselves a favor. You got to check it out. Um, you know, nothing was held back. These guys went all in and damn it fucking delivered. It was, it was tremendous. Um, you know, you got to check it out. The NXT women's match with Bailey and Asuka was, again, another match that was was really, really good, told an amazing story, and a lot of people were upset that Bailey lost, but you got to remember, Bailey has reached a point um, in, her, in her persona and in her career in NXT where even when she's not champion, she's still a crowd favorite. Again, in her case, it's one of those instances where the belt has become a prop. And I think for Asuka, you have an opportunity to have an individual that can wrestle her ass off. Even though she's not cutting, you know, stellar promos or doing amazing, uh, amazing ring, you know, um, amazing pre-match and post-match interviews, you know that you're going to get someone who's going to go out there and give you 110% in the ring. I, I would, I would have been shocked if Bailey would have retained, but it wouldn't have bothered me either way. But I think this is an opportunity for Asuka to really work with all the women in NXT and bring something new out of them. Plus, I think it also paves the way for Bailey to possibly start making her way to the main roster. With Sasha Banks already up there, Becky Lynch and Charlotte just killing it. Um, you know, the final member of the four horsewomen needs to be up there. And I think that Bailey would connect very well on the main 
on the main roster and Asuka is definitely a flag bearer for the women's division. You know, it's tough because they really had to go and follow that amazing Nakamura Zayn match, but the women definitely held their own. Um, you know, I really like that Bailey didn't tap out, just reinforcing her grit and toughness. I think that was a really great aspect of the storytelling and the women definitely delivered. Ah, Slick says Bailey can go anywhere and be loved and give great performances. I want them to have a rematch at the takeover before SummerSlam. You know what? I wouldn't mind that. But like I said, there's there's so many there's so many women coming into NXT and, you know, the the new women's division. And I'll get into that later on on the main roster that Bailey would benefit in either environment. I understand what you're saying with regards to a rematch. And I think that. Uh, you know, we may have that opportunity just because, you know, Bailey and Sasha had, you know, a couple of great matches and rematches. But, uh, you know, if I didn't get the rematch and Asuka had a new opponent, I wouldn't feel bad about it. But I do think that her and Bailey could could have another go and still deliver a stellar, stellar match. Now, as I mentioned earlier, you know, they mentioned that Bobby Roode was in attendance Um and also Kota Ibushi was in attendance. And of course, when you see those guys and they're being acknowledged by name, it makes you wonder if they were signed. A lot of rumors are floating around that um, Bobby Roode was indeed signed. And I'll get into that later on in the segment. But um, it was good to see Bobby Roode there. It was awesome to see the crowd pop for him, know who he was. Uh, you know, Scott Hall and X-Pac were there. There was definitely a lot a lot of things going on in the crowd that really added to to the environment and you know the special nature of this takeover event. I do think that Bobby Roode, uh, if and when he debuts in NXT, will be a great asset. He's another guy that if you pair him with Austin Aries, whether as an opponent or in a tag team, you're going to get some really really great stuff out of those guys as well. Anyway, last but not least, Finn Balor, Samoa Joe. Um, really another memorable entrance from Finn Balor as, uh, he came out, uh, with an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, Samoa Joe just could give less of a fuck. And, uh, you know, that was great. Uh, it was crazy. Samoa Joe ended up getting busted open at one point. Uh, he got a cut over his eyebrow, which ended up requiring six stitches. This guy bled like a motherfucker because those guys were rock'em sock'em robots from bell to bell. A uh, really, really great match. Extremely physical. Samoa Joe, as usual, bringing the intensity, bringing a lot of of what makes him the man to to this match. You know, Balor, as always, um, just steps it up. You know, with the with the theatricality and the, and and just the move set. Even the the intensity of the match was turned up another level. I you know I credit Samoa Joe for for just being able to continue the match and really really add to that intensity with the blood that was there. I mean the match was stopped a handful of times because he was he was bleeding so much and that's you know obviously adrenaline and everything else but man I as much as you know people were trying to make sure that he was kept clean and you know they're trying to get the blood out um I got to say when that happened and the intensity on Samoa Joe's face it really added to that match. It was it was, you know, it really showed the 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 grit of Samoa Joe and the fact that this guy he just doesn't fucking quit. One of the toughest guys on the roster and um a stellar match, man. I was I was just shocked 
that they kept the title on Balor. I, I mean, you know, everybody expected the title to be dropped to Joe and Balor to obviously debut with the Bullet Club slash Balor Club on the main roster. And that still may happen with him as champion. But um, I think that, you know, the match could have gone either way and I would have I would have accepted either outcome. It was, like I said, just a an, an exciting, exciting, exciting uh, night of wrestling from NXT. Everybody stepped it up. Everybody was dialed in, and um, you know, it, it was it was just a, a stellar, stellar night. Um, I just, like I said, if if this is what we're gonna continue to get out of NXT, I I really feel that you know the main roster is gonna have to really be on their toes. And if this is what the future of WWE's main roster is, it is going to be an incredibly bright future because the talent that these guys are picking up, both on the independent and international circuits, are are gonna just be this good. It's it's gonna be a great period of wrestling for the next five years as these guys and girls get called up to the main roster. Uh, like I said, if you didn't get to watch NXT Takeover, please do. It was it was just a, a stellar card from start to finish. All right, so let's jump into the showcase of the Immortals WrestleMania. Um, there's I'm gonna I'm gonna give you guys a, a short opinion on this before getting into the matches. Uh, where NXT excelled in terms of wrestling, uh, WrestleMania definitely excelled in terms of entertainment. And they really did a, a stellar job in just keeping the crowd entertained for, you know, five hours or whatever it was. I mean, by the time I was done watching it, I, I believe the timer said it was about four and a half, almost five hours of stuff. And it was it was crazy, man. That crowd was was energetic from from match to match. And the thing is that there were some matches that were, you know, they were OK. And then there were other matches that were, uh, you know, that that could have been better. I, I just feel that, you know, putting certain matches on the pre-show was was a misstep, in my opinion. Like, Kalisto and Ryback, I understand why they did it. And it was a decent match. It was, you know, it was a good big guy, little guy match. No pun intended. I just, you know, I felt that match could have definitely opened up Mania. But I I understood why they didn't go that route. Because the latter match that did open WrestleMania was out of this world. The, uh, the 10 Diva tag match... Uh, we've been talking about the possibility of Brie Bella retiring, and I said during my picks last week that I felt that Brie Bella was probably going to get the victory in this match to close things out, and that's where they went. Um, you know, the Total Divas did secure the victory with Brie Bella defeating Naomi with the yes lock. It was, like I said, it was, it was, it was a decent match for what it was. Again, you can see. Who were the real wrestlers and who were the quote unquote divas in this instance? Um, it, like I said, I understood the narrative. I understood why they went in that direction, but, uh, yeah, it was, it wasn't as good as we, as we would have thought it was going to be strictly because, you know, it was, it was a forgettable match from start to finish, but I understood why they did it. Um, Lito showed, Lita showed up. And did, you know, unveiled the brand new WWE Women's Championship along with a brand new Women's Championship belt. Obviously, this leads to the retirement of the Divas title and the retire. I want to say it's also the retirement of the word Diva when referring to the women in WWE. They are just women's wrestlers. Uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where 
you know, the, the diva term is what solidified, uh, the women of WWE. A lot of, a lot of good things came out of that, that run. Obviously the total diva show mainstream exposure for a lot of these women. I understand it, but we're moving into a period where we don't need Barbie dolls. We need wrestlers. I mean, don't get me wrong. Barbie dolls, eye candy. They're great in the world of professional wrestling and they have a place, but we're also in a, in a, in a situation where the caliber of wrestlers that are coming out, both male and female are just, they're just so, they're all so complete. It's not like the old days where, Hey, you pose for playboy. You're kind of hot. You want to wrestle. Now there's, there's genuine talent on the independent circuit. There's genuine talent on the international circuit. There are women that are wrestling out there who are amazing talents that the only way you're going to find out about them is if you do your homework on YouTube or you watch shimmer or any of these other promotions and to, to see WWE kind of change the trend and go in that direction. I'm really hoping that they apply it and they take it seriously because uh, you know, there there's, there's so many great women on the roster that are going to deliver some great matches. And um, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking forward to sharing my thoughts on, uh, the women's title, you know, the women's title match for Mania just for that very reason. Now, the Usos and the Dudley boys was exactly what you would expect. I didn't think that the Usos weren't going to win that match. I, you know, the Dudleys put them over. It was okay. Uh, did it need to be at WrestleMania? Eh, you know, you can, you can take it for what it's worth. Now, as I said, the ladder match opened up Mania. It was it was tremendous. A lot of great moments. A lot of amazing storytelling and a huge swerve from WWE. Uh, like I said, I, Sami Zayn was my pick to win the match if Kevin Owens didn't retain. Instead, we got Long Island IZ, Zack Ryder winning the belt, which um, was a complete shock to all of us. I mean, all of us watching at my house. And, you know, my fellow wrestling fans that, that had reached out to me were like, holy shit, you know, nobody expected that. Not because Zack Ryder's not a talented wrestler or a good wrestler or a great wrestler, just because it was something super and completely unexpected. Uh, so definitely props to that, props for them for, uh, you know, taking the risk on, on Ryder. I think Ryder is a, is a good entertainer, connects well with the crowd and is capable of carrying that division if they so chose if they so choose to go with him in the future now you know you follow that match which was completely you know full of energy and you go into AJ Styles and Chris Jericho's match which was equally as good a lot of great storytelling there um i was genuinely upset that AJ didn't get his WrestleMania moment uh i was bummed i felt that they could have really done that for him i think um this is a guy who's busted his ass on the independents, uh, has made himself a household name, is a stellar performer, and I think you could have put him over. A lot of people were saying, yeah, but you know, Chris Jericho, blah, 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 and all I got to say is Chris Jericho put over Fandango at WrestleMania. Let me remind you guys of that shit. So for for them to let Jericho, for them to ask Chris Jericho to put Fandango over and not to go the same route with AJ Styles. It was definitely a misstep in my opinion. The match was good. Don't misunderstand. The match was incredibly uh, competitive from start to finish, but I really felt that AJ Styles deserved that, especially because it was his first WrestleMania and the loss wouldn't have hurt Jericho at all. On the contrary, the, you know, he would have just moved on to Monday with, with no issues whatsoever. 
The same can be said about the New Day and League of Nations match. I mean, the New Day's entrance was amazing with the Budio cereal, them dressed as Saiyans from Dragon Ball Z. Um, really, really good stuff at, at work from the New Day. Even the match itself was really good. I was annoyed, though, that you put over the League of Nations instead of putting over the New Day, which were completely over with the crowd and have unofficially reached uh, face status, in my opinion. Um, you know, there was no necessity to put over the League of Nations at this point. Those guys, they're, they're a credible threat any way you slice it. But I just, I just felt that in the biggest stage, you put in the most work. You went through the trouble of giving these guys this awesome entrance. And to have them lose was on, the, on such a big stage was, was really a miss, a miscue in my opinion. I think that we could have either ended it in a disqualification if you wanted to keep the, the League of Nations strong. But don't don't do it where, uh, you know, the New Day loses clean, uh, you know, with the bro kick from from Sheamus. I just I, wa- I wasn't a fan of that. I mean, obviously, the payoff was the, you know, the post-match promo from the League of Nations, which led to Shawn Michaels, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Cactus Jack coming out again. That was a great moment. And you could have still done that. You could have done it where it could have ended in DQ. It could have ended with them gloating. And it still would have brought out the same result. I think that, you know, the, the payoff with uh, the New Day and the Legends was was funny. Uh, you know, Xavier Woods eating the Stone Cold Stunner was amusing. And I understood why they did it. I feel that, um, you know, it, it worked in the grand scheme of things. But I just felt that in terms of the match itself, I would not have had the New Day lose. That's That's all I'm saying. The the no holds barred street fight, in my opinion, was a ma- was a match that could have gone either way. It was also a match where Brock Lesnar could have lost, and it wouldn't have hurt anyone because of the environment and the match itself. Uh, they ended up instead giving the victory to Brock Lesnar and Dean Ambrose, taking an ass whooping in the process. I I just feel that you know this was an opportunity for you to really get Ambrose over, and the loss would not have hurt Brock Lesnar in the least. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, after WrestleMania is over, he he retreats to his cave to slumber until the next big pay-per-view when he's needed, and then he comes back. It wouldn't have hurt, and it would have just shown, you know, the extremes that Dean Ambrose was willing to go to win that match. I think that was that would have been a better outcome, in my opinion. I understood that, you know, you want to keep Lesnar strong at WrestleMania, and that's fine. But I I felt that Ambrose could have got the win and it wouldn't have hurt anyone. Now, the women's match, the women's match had a lot, a lot of of expectation from many people. We know that these women can put together an awesome match in NXT. We know that in singles competition, they work incredibly well together. Would that op, would that same chemistry work? On the grandest stage of them all. On top of the fact that, you know, Sasha Banks came, Sasha Banks came out in, you know, some really great Latino heat inspired ring gear. Uh, she had, you know, a, a really cool entrance. The same could be said for Charlotte. I really liked, uh, coming out in, in her father's robe and, you know, the homage that was paid to one of the greats. There was really a lot of, of fanfare going into this match and the ladies definitely delivered. It was incredibly competitive. And, um, while I was upset that Charlotte won, uh, you know, because I thought this was going to be Sasha's moment, I understood 
in the grand scheme of things, why they chose to go this route. Obviously, you want to have that mainstream exposure. You're taking generational superstars in Charlotte and Roman Reigns, uh, you know, to show up on, on the Today Show. While that's not to say that Sasha wouldn't have done a great job in terms of mainstream exposure, there's just a lot that can be said about a, a woman whose father is one of the greats. Uh, her, her siblings were wrestlers, you know, you know, Reed, David, um, you know, David Flair, you could put an asterisk next to that name in terms of wrestling, but, um, to see Charlotte go out there and, and really put together an awesome match with these two, with these other two women, it was, it was really a sight to see, um, you know, I commend them all for, for going out there, laying it on the line. I mean, Becky Lynch, you know, she, she, she looked like she really was in a fight on Monday, just because again, there was so much going on. Uh, there were, there were some small miscues, very, very small, you, you know, blink and you missed it. But, um, the story itself, the history between these women, uh, going back to NXT to the main roster, I, un- I understood why the, it went the way it went. And the match itself was, was tremendous. I wasn't a fan of the Ric Flair interference, uh, for the victory. But again, I understood from, from a narrative perspective why that would work. Obviously, this could lead to maybe a steel cage match or something with a stipulation where Ric Flair can't get involved. And who knows? There's still the big payoff there. And for Sasha Banks, you know, Sasha winning the belt would have been a great moment, but she's so over right now that it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have mattered. Uh, Becky Lynch, I got to say that WWE needs to be careful. She's a, she's a wrestler that's over. She's a great worker, but you know, she's losing way too much, way too much. You need to go out there and really try and, and, you know, balance that out a little bit because I'm really concerned that Becky Lynch will become the next Natalia in the sense that you have a great worker that's capable of going out there and putting together good matches, but is not someone that you view as quote unquote championship material. That's not to say that that Natalia isn't championship material because she is by by a long shot. But, um, you know, it's one of those instances where you look at it and you say to yourself, shit, you know, she, this this girl has all the tools. What are they scared of? And in terms of international appeal, you know, you could do a lot with Becky Lynch on a bigger stage and hopefully she'll get that opportunity. As for the match itself, like I said, another stellar outing for these three women and um, really great storytelling. The crowd was was into it from bell to bell, chants, cheers, jeers. It was it was amazing. And um, like I said, even though Charlotte won, you know, I think all three women showed that the the women's division in WWE has a very 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 bright future. All right, <laughs> Slick says Becky Lynch is in danger of being the female Zack Ryder. Uh, you know, it's, it's a tough comparison, but I understand, you know, I understand why you would say that it's just, it's just very, very tough. Now the hell in the cell match, we knew, we knew, and I talked about this weeks ago that someone was going off that cell. Someone was going off that cell and we knew it was more than likely going to be Shane McMahon. And I got to say, you know, this match wasn't, uh, a mat classic or a, or a, or an amazing uh, a match full of holds and 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 great you know technical wrestling on the contrary this match was a brawl from start to finish and it was you know it re- you really got invested in the match Shane McMahon you know as a player coach 
is he's he's out of his fucking mind. You know, he he went up there, he took the dive, and even though he landed on an on an incredibly padded table, that stunt could have gone wrong in so many different ways. And for this guy, you know, the father of of, of the owner of the company, I mean the the son of the owner of the company, a father of three sons to to go out there and risk life and limb to deliver an amazing story and a compelling match speaks volumes of of you know just Shane McMahon as as a performer not even Shane McMahon as a son uh, as a McMahon but just Shane as a performer going out there and willing to to put his body on the line to tell this story it was it was really good um again you just became emotionally invested in this match you're like oh my god you know this is fucking crazy and even when Shane took that dive and landed on the announce table, even the undertaker, which I kind of felt he genuinely was like, holy shit, he did it. You know, there was, there was a lot to say about that, you know, about that match that really shows that sometimes you don't need a Matt classic or, you know, something with, with an incredible, you know, technic with a, with an incredibly technical match to, to deliver a compelling story. There was there was a a guy who was fighting for legacy and a legend who was fighting to just remain in in you know in the in the position he's in and I think that they they succeeded on both accounts. Would I have loved to have seen Shane win? Absolutely. But in terms of just the long game, you know, the Undertaker had to win that match, and based on what happened on Monday, you know, you know, it's it's WWE's crazy storytelling that that takes the 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 back seat sometimes. And in this case, like I said, I would have loved to have seen it end, you know, with the Undertaker uh losing to Shane McMahon, but you know, for for as dangerous as Shane McMahon was and as risky as he was, he he's you know, he's not a wrestler. And to that point, I understood why it went the way it did and it didn't bother me. It really didn't. On the contrary, I was just totally impressed not only with you know, the, the spots in the match, but just, you know, the incredible shape that Shane got in and the fact that he was willing to go out there and mix it up with the undertaker in his signature match and take some really, really uh, solid punishment. I mean, like I said, it's a testament to Shane McMahon being a great player coach. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing where the story goes, uh, in the coming months. That's for sure. But a really good match. Like I said, I was incredibly surprised that I enjoyed it as much as I did just because, you know, you're taking a non-wrestler, putting him in there with a wrestler and you're hoping for the best. And they, they really impressed. They really delivered. That's for sure. The, um, the Andre, the giant Memorial battle Royal was, you know, it was a freak show. It, it was what you'd expect. Um, I was really shocked to see Shaq in there. I was also shocked when Tatanka was in there out of, out of nowhere. I was like, what the fuck? What the hell is this guy doing here? But, um, it was, it was cool to see Shaq in there and the visual of Shaq, Kane, and the big show in the ring and Shaq just towering over these guys having to look up at Shaq was just, you know, whether you, you hated the match or loved the match, it was an amazing visual to see. And, and again, you know, it's one of those matches where these guys were all in there. The battle Royals are, you know, the payday matches. And as soon as I saw Baron Corbin in the match, I said, you're probably going to give it to Baron Corbin. And that's exactly who they gave it to. Uh, Baron Corbin, you know, minus his crank torso, uh, you know, he's one of the big guys that you can definitely look at as having a credible future. I mean, Kane, the big show, these guys, they're all on their way out, uh, in some capacity or another. And you got to start taking advantage of those, 
those big guys that you got and grooming them to become, you know, the next, the next big, the next big guy names on, on the roster. And, you know, Baron Corbin, he, like, he has a, he has a cool look minus the Krang, the Krang torso, a cool look, a great move set, an awesome entrance. It's just, you know, he needs, he needs a little bit more polish. His mic work needs a little bit more, a little bit more polish, but overall I understood why they did it. And, um, he probably seemed like the most likely candidate outside of him. I thought maybe Mark Henry, cause they were in Texas, but you know, I didn't, I didn't have an issue with Corbin winning, but much like Cesaro and the big show winning, what happens next? It's like, Oh look, you want a trophy. Great. Yay. It's, it's the, again, like I've said before, it's the long game. If you, if you're bringing Corbin up and you're having him mix it up with these guys, it, 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 there has to be a payoff. That's all I'm saying. We had the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders out, which led to the rock coming out, which led to, you know, 1998 throwback promos. But, um, Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family coming out there and mixing it up with the rock just shows that WWE believes in Bray Wyatt as a performer going out there, mixing it up with one of the best in the game. And, um, you know, obviously, I, the rock, the rock put those guys over. Even if, even if people don't want to acknowledge that he didn't wrestle Bray Wyatt, he wrestled Eric Rowan. And so what? He beat him in six seconds. Who gives a shit? But, um, you know, aside from that, I think that it was a great way of putting Bray Wyatt over. I mean, you had a hundred thousand people with their phones lit. That was an amazing visual to see on top of the fact that the exchange between Bray and the rock just seems so natural, so fluid. And obviously the surprise return of John Cena, which obviously for one night only was, you know, it popped the crowd a little bit and it was fine. I just think that, you know, for them to, to put Bray Wyatt out there again in a, in such a big moment and let him shine just shows that there's, there's something in the works with the Wyatt family. Hopefully it's something big and something meaningful because for you to go out there, interrupt the rock and mix it up with, you know, one of the best guys in the game. It's it's a testament to to creative and the company believing in you. And I really hope that's the case because Bray Wyatt has worked very hard. He's he's gotten himself over. He's gotten in better shape. And um, I think he's a guy that has all the tools to be a compelling and complex character in the foreseeable future, whether as a full on heel or as a tweener or even as a face. Um, you know, there's there's so much you can do with his character because. He's such a unique talent. I mean, Stro- Strowman and, and and Eric Rowan, you could take them or leave them. I, like I've always said, Luke Harper is probably the most standout guy in that faction, second to Bray Wyatt, and he's on the shelf. So to have Eric Rowan, quote unquote, get the job, it, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't bother anybody, including me. The uh, the championship match was exactly as you would expect. It was very formulaic. Uh, Triple H had a cool entrance. He didn't come out dressed like He-Man or Conan or Bronan or whatever the fuck. He just came out. You know, he had some r- really cool stuff. Uh, you know, great video package. Stephanie McMahon uh, really stepped it up to, to, to bring it together. And it was an impressive entrance. I'm shocked that Roman didn't get something equally cool. But um, the match itself was very paint by numbers, not to take anything away from either guy, but we knew the outcome. We knew that Roman was going to get put over. He was. Uh, I was shocked that The Rock or anybody didn't show up afterwards, but Roman did get his moment and um, the match, it was all right. You know, it was what you'd expect. Triple H definitely moves 
a lot at a lot more. He moves at a more methodical pace, which allowed him to work better in making Reigns look good, which he did. Um, but at the end of the day, it wasn't it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't memorable either. It, it just was like we knew the end. We saw the end a mile away, and it was fine. You know, it, some people are like, yeah, it was predictable, but it wasn't so much that. It was just that the fact is that the match was. You're not, you weren't going to see anything super crazy in this match outside of, you know, maybe some interference. We knew that it was going to be a very academic paint by numbers match. And, and it was, you know, it told the story it needed to tell. And Roman got the victory and that was it. I mean, you know, it was cool to see him carrying his daughter after the match. You know, they, they did a good job humanizing him, uh, you know, just showing him just as, you know, a, a guy that go out, goes out there, whoops ass and, you know, is, is a family man. And I liked that. I thought that was a really cool visual to show. And overall, like I said, WrestleMania was entertaining. Um, the wrestling quality varied from match to match. It wasn't overly consistent like it was in NXT. But I was entertained. I genuinely was entertained. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, WrestleMania sucked. And, uh, you know, I, I really, when people say that to me, I ask, you know, the first thing I ask is what exactly did you want? to be done during this card that would have changed your opinion. You know, did you want the rock to set Bray Wyatt on fire with the flamethrower he had? Like, like, you know, I don't understand. And uh, you know, this goes back to something I've talked about the before. And, you know, Jay's talked about before on the regular season sports cast about wrestling fans, sometimes being too jaded. Uh, like I said, I'm, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm pissing vinegar on this show. I'm super, super irate, super annoyed, but occasionally I got to I got to keep it real, man. And you just sit there, you soak it in. And if you come away entertained and you enjoyed it, then it, it wasn't terrible. I mean, if you if you sat through five hours of it and you hated it, you're an idiot for sitting through five hours. You know, like like, you know, by the second or third hour, you could have ejected been like, yo, I'm out and and maybe rewatched it later. Fast forwarded through it, whatever the case may be. But, you know, you weren't. You weren't, you weren't chained to a chair to watch it. And that's what it was for me. Like I didn't, I could have punched out any time and been like, yo, I'm not going to watch the rest of this because it sucks. But they kept me, they kept me entertained and glued in to where I had to see what happened. You know, I had, especially with, with, you know, the Zack Ryder title win, which was completely shocking. Uh, you, you know, they, they did the right, they sprinkled the right amount of, of stuff in there to keep you invested. And in that, in, in that regard, they succeeded. Like I said, is it, was it one of the greatest WrestleManias of all time? Probably not because there've been, there've been so many cards that are capable of that moniker, but it was entertaining. Like I said, NXT was the superior wrestling, uh, event. Uh, WrestleMania was the superior entertainment event because obviously there's more money. It's a bigger venue. There's more energy. And in that regard, they, they succeeded in delivering a solid event. That's all I'm saying. Um, slick says, I'm glad that take. Oh, he, uh, let me, let me go through some of the stuff. He says, my only issue is that takeover should not be outshining WrestleMania. I'm glad the takeover was as great as it was. WrestleMania should have crushed it. I don't, I don't disagree. On the contrary, that's the, the, I mean, you know, the showcase of the immortals. That's what you would expect. But to, to, to that point, I got to say that it really showed that NXT as a brand is really holding its own with the talent that it has. It doesn't need, 
you know, the pomp and circumstance and fireworks and bullshit that Raw and SmackDown and WrestleMania have. It just needs good wrestling, a passionate audience, and talent that believe in what they're doing. And when you look at it that way, NXT has all of that in spades. Like I said, this this isn't just a quite a matter of which was better. It's a matter of what of what is that what kind of growth and change is this going to initiate? And you know, many people on the main roster say it. They're like, man, those those kids in NXT, and I use the the term kids loosely. Uh, those guys are forcing us to to work harder, you know, to really to really keep up. And again, it's it's one of those things where it's not so much a competition, but it's it's a it's a matter of this is the future playing out in front of us. You know, we're seeing some of these guys before they become our WWE champions, our intercontinental champions, our tag team champions, and we're, and we're riding along with them. And the, and the cool thing is that when you take a guy like AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, and, and you've been following these guys going back to ring of honor, TNA, uh, you know, NXT, WWE, and you see that particular individual win a belt, you feel proud, you feel excited because you were part of that journey. You know, you know how awesome it was to see, uh, you know, a guy like Sami Zayn uh, come up through the independence with Kevin Owens, make it to NXT with Kevin Owens, make it to the main roster again with Kevin Owens and just continue to entertain fans Every time they're on television, it's, it, it's awesome to see. I mean, you know, there's so many talents out there like the bullet club, even the bullet club. Would I have loved to have seen Tama Tonga, uh, come to WWE and, and become a force in that company? Absolutely. Would I still mark out if the young bucks came to WWE and tore it up in the tag team division without a doubt. And that's just because you become invested in certain talents. I mean, you know, there's guys that have wrestled, that aren't in WWE and aren't in TNA that I would, I would love to see. I mean, cage from Lucha underground is a, is an amazing talent that would definitely be a bona fide star in the WWE. Uh, same can be said for ricochet who wrestles in, in Lucha underground as Prince Puma. That's another guy that, you know, WWE, if it went, if, and when they scoop that kid up, that guy is going to be a, a bona fide star immediately. I mean, you're looking at a guy much like Apollo Crews, that's just, you know, a bigger guy, uh, incredibly agile, super talented, and not on many people's radar. I mean, I got to tell people all the time, oh, do you know who Ricochet is? And they'll be like, who? And then I got to be like Prince Puma, Lucha Underground. They're like, oh, shit, that's the same guy. And it's like, yeah. And uh, again, you know, you look at so many talents that are out there that we haven't seen yet that we look forward to seeing them in NXT and WWE because they're going to, they're going to, just help the company grow and become better. That's why, like I said, I was bummed out that a guy like AJ Styles lost at WrestleMania because that's a guy that can carry your company into that next cycle. You know, he's he's incredibly, incredibly over, super talented. Yes, not the best talker, but still an incredible hand to have on your roster. That's all I'm saying. Um, Slick adds, I think the IC title match is going to become a ladder match annually. And that would be kind of cool because the IC belt is the one that gets defended more. The IC champ is the so-called fighting champ. It's true. I mean, you know, the IC, the IC title, and this goes back, and I've said this before, the IC title should automatically make you a number one contender because it is, quote-unquote, the secondary belt. But to that point, I feel that 
you know, the IC title and the US title, at some point those champions should fight and the winner should go on to become number one contender. It's just it's just in terms of, you know, secondary titles, the the IC or the US title, whichever you want to choose, that guy should automatically be in some sort of contention for a title opportunity. Simple as that. Like I said, if you even wanted to merge the IC and US title and, and like I said, bring back the TV title and, and just make that IC title a title that can be traded in for a championship opportunity, a la Money in the Bank, I, you know, I, I just feel that that works. I mean, I really like when TNA did that with the X Division title at Destination X where uh, the X Division champion can turn in his belt and challenge for the, for the TNA title. I thought that it was innovative and different and I'd love to see something like that where it's like, hey, I could, you know, I'm going to, I mean, Money in the Bank is great and I think it's a solid event and it's a great opportunity for you to elevate a star, but imagine, you know, being able the champion, the you know, call it the champion's challenge or something where they can go and, and forfeit their title to challenge for the WWE title. It's just, it's just a really cool idea, especially with something like the IC title where, you know, the guy can turn it in, challenge, you elevate that guy, and then you got four or five other guys that can come in and challenge for the IC title. I mean, there's a lot of great stuff that can be done, but, you know, we're going to have to we're gonna have to take a wait-and-see approach. That's for sure. Anyway, last but not least, Monday Night Raw, the Raw after Mania. Everything about Raw was tremendous. You know, you had the crowd just really into it. You know, Vince comes out, he gloats a little bit, Shane comes out, uh, you know, walks off into the sunset, and then all of a sudden Vince is like, hey, you're running Raw tonight. It's just, you know, you had the guy go out there and, and pretty much kill himself, and he still ended up running Raw, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the following night. I mean, you know, that's that's WWE storytelling at its best. Um, the New Day and the League of Nations squared off, obviously New Day, super over, and um, League of Nations, of course, loses this match, the New Day wins. And I really, I really wasn't shocked with the outcome because obviously they, um, they used it as an opportunity to eject Wade Barrett from the faction. As many of you know, Wade Barrett is leaving WWE. And, um, you, if you've noticed, he's been the guy eating a lot of the pinfalls, taking a lot of the, the finishers in a lot of these matches. They're just, you know, they, they don't give a shit about Barrett at this point, which is unfortunate, but, you know, it is what it is. I really like that the, uh, the Wyatt family came out beat up the League of Nations, whoop their ass. Um, not sure if this is because they're looking to turn the Wyatt family or because they wanted the Wyatt family to come out there and establish their dominance in that division. In any case, um, you know, it was it was definitely cool to see. Uh, you know, the crowd was super over for that. I mean, the, super into it. Wyatt family was super over. Um, you know, the departure of Barrett, like I said, it, it was it was inevitable. I'm shocked that they waited this long, but um, it was, it, you know, the, the the match with the New Day was good. Like I said, the crowd super into it, super, the the New Day incredibly over, and um, that's what we wanted, man, something hot to get things started. Uh, Summer Rae and Sasha Banks had a, um, they actually had a decent match. Uh, Summer Rae, not a terrible wrestler. I mean, they used to always talk about her wrestling in NXT. I kind of felt, I kind of felt that it went by the wayside, but in any case, um, it was, it was good, man. Uh, Sasha Banks looked great. Um, the match was solid. It was, you know, a match that it was short. Don't get me wrong, but it was short and it accomplished, it accomplished what it needed to, which was obviously keeping Sasha Banks strong, uh, going into the next cycle 
uh, the next March towards the next pay-per-view. So there is that. We got a um, Apollo Crews Raw debut, which was which was fine. I once again I felt bad that Tyler Breeze got killed um, for the sake of getting someone over. Um, you know, it was a good debut for Cruz, and I got no problem with it. I just felt that if you're gonna have Tyler Breeze come up and just you're gonna fucking job him out, you should have just left him in NXT. That's what you got the social outcast for. I mean, not to shit on those guys, but. Why why bring Tyler Breeze up and then just just obliterate him every chance you get? It was it was pointless. Um you know, we got uh Chris Jericho, uh we had Roman Reigns come out. He cut a really good promo. I felt that we got to see the real Roman Reigns. Uh you know, he was like, "I'm not a good guy, I'm not a bad guy, I'm the guy." And I think that's a good catchphrase and the best thing was the exchange uh between him and the other individuals that came out, Jericho first, uh, AJ Styles, Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens. I also liked a little bit of that foreshadowing when Sami Zayn was pointing at the title. You know, Roman Reigns was like, yeah, okay, uh, definitely not you. And the same thing with AJ Styles, where he kind of just dismissed those guys. I really appreciated that because it was small, it was subtle, but it was noticeable enough that you can see that there's some character development going on. Um, You know... Would I have wanted it to be Kevin Owens or Chris Jericho? Sure. But, you know, we'll discuss we'll discuss the outcome later on. But either way, I, I appreciated that Roman Reigns' character was starting to evolve a bit. We started to see slight shades of, you know, heelness, which um which were fine in my opinion. I had I had no problem with it whatsoever. Um the thing the thing that gets me, and this is what I'd like to see. Uh, definitely would like to see more Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. Obviously, they set up uh, Shane set up a fatal four way with the winner challenging uh, Roman Reigns for the title. But um, really good performers, that's for sure. Baron Corbin had his Raw debut against Dolph Ziggler. Ziggler did a great job putting Corbin over. Obviously, Dolph Ziggler, a bump machine, um, did does what he does best. Uh, Baron Corbin, he, he has a bright future. Like I said, I'm just, I'm just curious to see what they do with him. Um, you know, it was, it was a decent match for what it was, you know, Ziggler did the bulk of the work and we'll see where it goes. You know, that's, that's all we can do. Uh, Zack Ryder came out, Miz interrupted. We got ourselves a match. Ryder loses the de- the title after, you know, the Miz getting involved with it, with his dad. And of course the return of Maurice, um, there was a lot of stuff there that was, that was solid. Uh, you know, Maurice coming back was good, but I was a little bummed out to see Zack Ryder lose so quickly. I mean, if you're going to leave, if this is going to lead to a program between the two of them, that's fine. But if you're only doing this to make Ryder the sacrificial lamb to bring, you know, as a catalyst to bring Maurice back, then, it, you know, it was a waste. I mean, you gave Zack Ryder this incredible moment. And you're not leveraging that. This is a guy who is super over with the crowd. And you're not taking advantage of it. I mean, I think him and The Miz are, are capable of carrying that division with a with a really good rivalry. And I hope that's the case. Um, like I said, match was good. Storytelling was solid. Um, we'll see where it goes. I mean, obviously, the rematch is scheduled for SmackDown. And if you already know, SmackDown is taped. But I'm not going to spoil it for you. It, it was, you know, it is what it is. It was good. Um, you know, we had the official unveiling of the women's title. We had uh, some some Charlotte 
uh, you know, shenanigans, obviously, me, 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 even though she did break character at one point, and you can see, you know, the crowd was making it incredibly difficult for her to be a heel at that moment, but she did a great job. Obviously, the setup was Natalia and her, which is good. I mean, this is the women's division, and I really hope that it gives uh, Natalia an opportunity. I mean, one of the veterans, a really good worker, and, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can see that. That's all I'm saying. Usos and Dudley boys had another forgettable match. It is what it is, but the debut of Enzo and Big Kaz. Holy shit. If you want to talk about stellar, memorable, and amazing debuts, look up Enzo and Big Kaz's promo on the Dudley boys. What a way to come in with, with you know, uh, Enzo and Big Kaz taking on two legends in the business in tag team wrestling. I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better. And, um, you know, it was, it was great. I, I just, my, my, my explanation doesn't even do it justice. You got to watch it, man. You get goosebumps. You know, Enzo Amore shows the, the incredible amount of what the hell really Jimbo slice. I'm (laughs) Christ. I'm so horrified. So horrified with the communique I just received. Get out of here. I hate you. Wait till this show is over. Anyway, um, like I said, everything about that debut was tremendous. It was well executed. And the only thing we can say is hopefully they, they utilize these guys well if you brought them up to the main roster. Otherwise, it's it's going to be tough, man. Enzo is so insane on the mic that nobody's going to be able to compete with him. And if you don't use that right, you don't leverage it correctly, it's, it's going to look bad. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the fatal four way match was supposed to be Chris Jericho, AJ and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. Uh, turns out that of course, Kevin Owens attacked Sami Zayn, powerbombed him through a table. Uh, he was medically not cleared to compete, but the, uh, the best part was that we got to see the return of Cesaro and the crowd went insane. Hell, I marked out. It was pretty dope. Uh, match itself was tremendous, really incredible chemistry, which led to AJ Styles getting the victory. Uh, AJ Styles becomes the number one contender to compete against Roman Reigns. And man, you couldn't have asked for a, for a better ending to Monday Night Raw. Like I said, the return of Cesaro, uh, a bunch of debuts, some really great feuds on the horizon. Everything about Raw was stellar from start to finish. And um, that was it, man. If I if I had to say anything uh, to, to cap that off, I got to say that if you can make the Raw after WrestleMania this good, why can't you do the same the other uh, 51 weeks out of the year? I'm serious. If you can go out and deliver such amazing storytelling on one, on one night, in one night, I should say, why can't you do the same for the other, for the remainder of the year? You, you shouldn't have to relegate uh, you know, great storytelling and matches and plot development and backstage segments and promos to the raw after mania. You got, like I said before, you got three hours of live television to, to really, really deliver the goods, not even counting the other additional two hours for SmackDown. It's and, and the hour for main event. It's insane. It really is insane. But aside from that raw was tremendous. It was a great raw to cap off mania weekend, and um, with that said, I want to get into the wrestling news of the week. 
uh, to wrap things up. As many of you know, WWE is working on the global cruiserweight series. Uh, they're recruiting cruiserweights from all over the world and from different promotions, including Evolve. Uh, there was a rumor floating around, according to the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, that uh, Lucha Underground's King Cuerno was offered a spot on the global cruiserweight series. Unfortunately, neither Lucha Underground nor AAA would allow him to compete. Uh, it's weird because, you know, King Cuerno has a seven season deal with the, with Lucha Underground and he hasn't worked any AAA events since March, nor has been involved in any matches for Lucha Underground's season three tapings. Um, you know, it, it could be that King Cuerno has issues with, with AAA and Lucha Underground based on the fact that they blocked him from competing. Uh, it remains to be seen, but, um, King Cuerno would have been a great addition to the Global Cruiserweight series, but I understand why AAA and Lucha Underground didn't let that happen. Obviously, you know, you're having these guys come in. WWE is essentially scouting them and can essentially buy them out from under you or have them ask for their release. So while, while I am bummed out that the, the mainstream audience didn't get to see King, King Cuerno, who kills it on Lucha Underground every week, I, um, I understand the rationale as to why they, they did not let him compete. I'm curious to see what kind of talents we're going to see in the Global Cruiserweight Series. I mean, Zack Sabre's been brought up. Uh, they're saying Bobby Roode might compete in that series, obviously, because of the 205-pound weight limit. Uh, we'll see what happens, but it's shaping up to be very, very interesting when all the competitors are announced. Obviously, as we get more news relating to the Global Cruiserweight Series, we will share that with you guys. In some other mainstream WWE news, WWE signed a an, uh, partnership deal with Snapchat. Uh, if you are a Snapchat user like we are, uh, Rageworks is on there. Just look for us on Snapchat. Uh, you will have seen that they had a dedicated feed, a dedicated story, I should say, to WrestleMania 32. A lot of really great stuff was showcased during that uh, during the story that Snapchat put out for WrestleMania. A lot of cool behind the scenes stuff. Uh, some really great perspectives from certain entrances. Uh, I think it's a it's a great partnership for WWE. I mean, they've done a really good job with a lot of social media companies and uh, different entities, excluding Tout, which um, started off well and just just turned to shit. But um, I'll be curious to see what Snapchat and WWE can do. Like I said, they've been doing a lot of great behind the scenes stuff, uh, some pre-show stuff that's pretty cool. And uh, hopefully that'll just be another content outlet for WWE to give the fans a little bit more of, you know, their favorite superstars in a non-television setting. Again, uh, the partnership was announced. Uh, it's a multi-year partnership and it started with WrestleMania 32. Uh, like I said, if you are on Snapchat, check out WWE's feed, keep an eye on that and you'll get to see some really cool stories from them. Uh, hopefully with every pay-per-view going forward. The next bit of news I want to talk about is an interesting piece from Forbes uh, talking about the top 10 highest paid WWE wrestlers over the last year. Uh, crazy thing is that, well, let me rephrase that. It shouldn't come as a shock that the number one earning performer in the WWE is John Cena making $9.5 million. Uh, this is a combination of base salary and merchandise sales. Uh, Brock Lesnar comes in second place, earning an additional $6 million. And uh, Triple H earns $2.8 million with it comprised of his regular salary and his in-ring, uh, his salary as an in-ring performer. 
which according to the breakdown is a 1.1 million salary and a $700,000 bonus. And as an executive, he makes an additional $1 million. So uh, 1.1 million as a performer with a, with a performance bonus and an, and an additional $1 million as an executive. Now, in that list also is Randy Orton earning $2.7 million. His, his earnings actually dropped because he's been injured, uh, on and off for the, for the last year. Uh, Seth Rollins came in at number five, earning $2.4 million, followed by Roman Reigns in the number six slot, making $2.1 million. The Undertaker made two, $2 million last year. The Big Show made 1.5, Kane made 1.3, and Dean Ambrose made $1.1 million. As I said, you know, John Cena's earnings of $9.5 million are a combination of his salary and merchandise sales, which even though you, whether you love John Cena or you hate him, the guy sells merchandise and a, and a fuckload. Uh, I think the same can be said for Brock Lesnar as well. I know many of us know that he had signed an alleged $5 million a year deal, but um, I have a feeling that he probably has a merchandise incentive in there as well. But I, I would never have thought that Dean Ambrose was clearing a million dollars, but shit, the guy is, you know, I mean, Cena, like I said, a lot of these guys, I'm not shocked about Cena, Triple H, uh, Brock. I'm shocked that The Undertaker makes so little money, but you're also talking about a guy who performs once a year, so I can understand that. But in any case, man, John Cena easily, easily clearing $9 million. I'm curious to see if Forbes is going to make this a an ongoing feature because I'd love to see this next year. I mean, John Cena's been on the shelf. Uh, Brock Lesnar's been kind of, you know, more more prevalent as of late as has you know triple h as a performer so i'm curious to see if this is going to be a recurring feature i'd love to uh break this down every year because i think it's it's incredible insight into the business you know it's something that we haven't you know we haven't really touched on and i'm glad that forbes actually put out this piece so uh props to them one thing i did want to mention the wwe network of course you know many people have been leaving the network as of late due to obviously either lack of interest or finding other methods to consume their content. But WWE's network is doing quite well. The, uh, the corporate office actually put out a, uh, an announcement recently that said that they reached 1.8 million subscribers. Uh, it's a 39% increase in the subscriber base since March 30th, 2015, which was the day after WrestleMania 31. Um, really, really big, a milestone for those guys. And part of it, I got to say is the fact that they're starting to go into more original programming. They're starting to increase their tape library. And above all that, they're actually adding, uh, you know, raw and SmackDown a little quicker, uh, versus initially where you had a delay of roughly a month or so. Now you're getting it maybe within two weeks, uh, you're being able to access those shows. And like I said, you're getting original programming, uh, you're grabbing other tape libraries and you're doing a lot more with NXT. So I can see why people are signing up in droves. And like I've said before, it's the best value if you're watching pay-per-views on a consistent basis. You know who I'd rather pay $10, watch the pay-per-view and still be able to watch some of the older stuff versus dropping $60 here and there. Like I've said before, it pays for itself, especially if you only watch the big four. Um, just that alone is incentive enough, but NXT is one reason why I always say that the network is a must. So definitely props to them. Uh, for those of you that were curious as to why 
Brie Bella's retirement wasn't referenced on Raw. Uh, many people already know that Brie Bella's retirement is official, including us here at MTR. But it seems that they're not trying to acknowledge it on television because they want to use it as a storyline for Total Divas. And that's what's going to be the driver during the next season of the show. In addition to that, there are rumors that Maurice was brought in uh, to be added to the Total Divas cast because certain wrestlers are no longer going to be part of it. Uh, that being Mandy, Rosa Mendez, and um, I want to say Alicia Fox. I know that Naomi is coming back. Maurice is going to be involved and um, some of the others and uh, Renee Young as well. So, uh, you know, it's interesting to see them go in this direction. Like I said, uh, Brie Bella's retirement. I think that given her service to the company, she deserved the proper send off. Who knows? We may still have it. But to to use that as just a driver for a show instead of allowing her to, you know, speak to the audience and retire in front of her peers. I mean, it still may happen, but. As of right now, it looks like they're going to move more towards, you know, leveraging it on Total Divas. Uh, One thing I do want to say, oh yeah, the other thing I did want to say with regards to Total Divas is that Lana is probably going to be joining the cast as well. So, I'm not shocked at all. Obviously, you know, Lana Lana has mainstream appeal. Uh, She, you know, she's acted in a couple of movies. Her relationship with Rusev, it's all tailor-made for Total Divas. Same thing with Renee Young, who's in a relationship with Dean Ambrose. It's all reality show fodder. I definitely uh, am not shocked about this in the least. Uh, Last bit of news to close things out. Uh, Really disheartened to hear that uh, former TNA wrestler Crimson, a.k.a. uh, real name Anthony Mayweather, was arrested and charged with domestic assault. Um, Mayweather was arrested after authorities received a phone call about a man headbutting his wife outside of a hotel in Clarksville, Tennessee. Uh, Police responded to the call, and they found a woman who was Mayweather's wife bleeding from her nose and lip. She insisted that everything was fine. Mayweather was with her, and the couple denied anything had happened. Uh, They said that Mayweather was very defensive. During questioning, he was arrested and charged with domestic assault, and his wife was arrested and charged with public intoxication. So uh, definitely not a good look for Crimson. Which is a which is, which is a shame because Crimson had a you know he had a cool look, uh you know he was booked in in TNA as the the brother of Amazing Red, uh, a relationship that carried over to House of Glory and on the independent circuit, and I felt that he was a guy that was tailor made for WWE uh, down the road. I mean all the tattoos, the cool look, you know serving in the military, he had a great backstory. Uh, these domestic violence allegations. Uh, definitely not good if he's trying to get on their radar. I mean, this is stuff that the company definitely does not want to be associated with. So not a good look for him. That's for sure. The other item I wanted to talk about is Seth Rollins getting a movie role. Uh, he's going to be in a horror film with Wesley Snipes and Haish and John Stockwell. Uh, John Stockwell is directing the film. Uh, he directed into the blue and crazy beautiful. Um, it, the movie is called temple. And, um, you know, it's being released through the Erebus horror imprint, which was, uh, Gene Simmons imprint in partnership with WWE films. Uh, curious to see how Seth Rollins fares as an actor. Obviously, you know, Wesley Snipes is Wesley Snipes doing uh direct to video DVDs is, is something he is well versed in. Uh, curious to see how Seth Rollins does as an actor. I, I know that they just recently announced that Dolph Ziggler Kane movie, 
which looks completely abysmal. I got, I got to check it out just for laughs. I'll let you guys know if I, if I do, um, maybe I'll review it for the site, but in any case, uh, Seth Rollins is going to co-star opposite Wesley Snipes. The film, like I said, is called Temple. And, um, when I get a release date for that, I will share it with you guys. All right. So that bit of wrestling news is going to wrap things up, not only for the wrestling segment, but also for this week's show. So I've given you guys my take on MMA and wrestling this week, including Raw, NXT, and WrestleMania. As always, I would love to hear yours. Feel free to reach out uh, via social media. You can find us at My Take Radio on Twitter or at Rage underscore Works. Still trying to get Rage Works on Twitter, but there's a lady that's been sitting on it for like four years. Uh, it's a big pain in the ass. Uh, aside from that, you can also email me mtrhost at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of the show, those, those are the email addresses you can use to contact us, or you can use the contact form on rageworks.net. If you prefer that archived episodes of this show, well, let me rephrase that archived versions of this show, as well as past episodes can be found for audio, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. For video, you can find us on Official Rageworks on YouTube. Uh, we're probably going to find another video distribution platform in the coming weeks. Uh, currently exploring Vimeo, maybe going full full steam ahead with Daily Motion. But for right now, um, Official Rageworks is the YouTube channel you're going to want to look at. For those of you that are subscribed to My Take Radio TV on YouTube, uh, please remember and If you missed it during the start of the show, note that I will be uh, closing out that channel by May 1st and moving everyone to official Rageworks. If you haven't subscribed, please do. I plan on making an announcement on that channel in the coming days uh, with links and everything directing people to the new channel. But if you're listening to this show and you already subscribed, uh, do me a favor, subscribe to official Rageworks. We're going to be putting all the shows there, all our event coverage, product reviews, uh, gameplay, all the stuff you've come to expect, which was on the My Take Radio channel, will now exist on Rageworks. Uh, last but not least, uh, you can find all of the stuff that I've talked about on the official My Take Radio app, available for iOS, Android, and Windows Mobile. You get 96K stereo episodes of this show, plus you're going to get access to exclusive content before the general public, and of course, mobile wallpapers and other perks as well. Again, As a reminder, there will be no gaming and entertainment edition of MTR this Thursday. We will be be back next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. I want to thank you guys, as always, for checking us out, downloading our stuff, commenting on our posts. If you wanted to enter the Hateful Eight Funko Pop Vinyls contest, unfortunately, it is now closed, but... Be on the lookout for the Batman versus Superman contest, which will be going live finally. Uh, Now that we got everything squared away with prizes, we'll be able to do that. Anyway, I'll see you guys next Wednesday at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific. Thank you guys for tuning in. I am out of here. Peace.